0: Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us this evening. We're going to get ready to pray over the tithes and offerings. You know, I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of chaos going around, and I found myself getting really weary just reading all of the things coming out of this. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, there's so much going on, so much trials, so much tribulations. And then I realized that We follow a God that overcomes it all. And it's that God that we give to. And it's in our faith to that God that we give. So, if you feel it in your heart that God is telling you this is your time to give, we have four different ways to give here at New Hope Church. The first one is online through our website, www.newhopehilo.org and then click on ways to give the second way is on your mobile phone through our app the third way is to mail it to us at 840 Kupulao Road and finally you can always text the number on the screen right there and it will set you up for online giving and let's bow our heads Dear Heavenly father lord I just pray and I thank you so much for being a God that is faithful to us, for being a God that does not change based on our circumstances. But you're a God that overcomes. So let us just pray over this tithes and offerings that it would be taken by you to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have a video that's going to help us see or it's going to help us uh see the main points in the book tonight that we're going to look at and it's the book of Song of Songs so let's look let's take a look
1: The Song of Songs it's a well known but not so well understood book of the Bible it's eight chapters of love poetry And while there is an introduction and a conclusion, the book doesn't have any kind of rigid literary design. And that's because it's a collection of poems. They're not meant to be dissected or taken apart. They're meant to be read as a flowing whole and simply enjoyed. The first line of the book tells us that it's the song of songs, which is a Hebrew idiom like the holy of holies or the king of kings. It's a Hebrew way of saying the greatest thing. So this is the greatest song of all songs. Then we're told in the first line that this song of songs is of Solomon. Which could mean that he is the author, his name does begin the book after all. But as you read the poems, you discover that the main voice is that of a woman called the beloved. And while there is also a male voice, it does not seem to be Solomon's. Solomon is mentioned a couple times in the poems, but he's never a speaker. And you do have to admit, Solomon is a very odd candidate as the author of this book, given the fact that he had 700 wives. For the lovers in the Song of Songs, they are the only ones in the world for each other. So the of Solomon likely means in the wisdom tradition of Solomon. He was known for his wisdom, his poetry, his love of learning about every part of life. And Solomon became the father of wisdom literature in Israel. And so his legacy is here carried on through a collection of love poems that explores the human experience of love and sexual desire. The opening poem introduces us to the basic theme of this book. We hear the voice of the young woman who delights in her man, a shepherd. Now she's not married to him yet, but it becomes clear that they're engaged and they cannot wait to be together. From the introduction, the poems flow back and forth from the woman's voice to the man's, shifting from scene to scene without any kind of clear linear sequence or storyline. The poems move in these symphonic cycles, and key images and ideas get repeated and developed. So one of the basic themes uniting the poems is the intense desire that this couple has for each other, expressed through their constant seeking and finding. So after the opening poem, they're separated but on the hunt for one another. So the woman calls out or she'll wake up from a dream or go looking for her lover and more than once they'll find each other, they'll embrace and then right when things start to get a bit racy, the scene will suddenly end and a new one will start. They're separated, looking for each other, and on it goes. Another repeated theme is the joy of the couple's physical attraction for one another. So multiple times, they'll pause and describe each other with these elaborate metaphors. And here, it's very helpful to know that these images and metaphors in Hebrew poetry are not primarily visual. If you try and paint a picture of these people based on the metaphors, you will end up with something that looks very, very strange. What you're supposed to do is reflect on the meaning of these images as they relate to the man and the woman. So you'll read through the poetic cycles, and the tension will keep building in their desire and joy and attraction. And this spiraling repetition is a poetic way of heightening and focusing on the mystery and power of sexual love. It all comes together in the conclusion, which pauses to summarize what these poems are all about. Love is as strong as death. Its passions are as severe as the grave. Its flashes are of fire, a divine flame. Many waters cannot extinguish love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, he would be utterly scorned. The poem highlights the power and the intensity of love, how it's both beautiful but also dangerous. Like fire, love can destroy people if it's abused or be life-giving if it's protected. Ultimately, love expresses the insatiable human longing to know and be fully known and desired by another. Love is one of the most transcendent and mysterious experiences in human life, and as a part of the Bible's wisdom tradition, this book says it's a gift from God. After this, there's an odd poem about Solomon trying to do what the previous poem just said was impossible, to buy love. The woman rejects Solomon's offer, and then the book concludes. With the man and the woman, they're separate once more on the hunt for each other. He calls to hear her voice. She begs him to run away with her. And that's how the book ends. Just totally open-ended. But that's a lot like love, which never truly concludes, because there's always more to discover and pursue in your beloved. And so true love has no end, and neither does this book. Now, through history, the big question raised by the Song of Songs is, what on earth is love poetry doing in the Bible? There have been three main interpretations of this book throughout history. In Jewish tradition, it's been read as an allegory, each character a symbol. So the woman is Israel, the man is God, and their love is a symbol of the covenant between God and Israel made at Mount Sinai in the giving of the Torah. This view flowed into the Christian tradition, but the characters were swapped. So it's about Christ's love for his people, the church. And this interpretation was inspired by Paul's words in Ephesians 5, that a Christian husband's love for his wife is a symbol of Christ's love for the church. What's interesting is that in the last hundred years, archaeological discoveries among Israel's ancient neighbors in Egypt and Babylon has turned up all kinds of ancient love poetry that's very similar in language and imagery to the Song of Songs. We see that love poetry was a meaningful part of Israel's cultural environment, which has led most scholars today to view the Song of Songs as what it presents itself to be, an arrangement of Israelite love poetry reflecting on the divine gift of love. But... That doesn't mean that it's only ancient love poetry. There's a key feature of these poems that sticks out when you read them as a part of the Old Testament and that's the overwhelming use of garden imagery. There are powerful echoes of the Garden of Eden and the idyllic scene between the married couple in the early chapters of Genesis. So the image of the man and the woman naked and vulnerable but completely unified and safe with one another This resonates in the background of the Song of Songs. It's as if in these poems we are witnessing the love of a couple whose relationship is untainted by selfishness and sin. And so ultimately the song holds out hope. That even though our own relationships are so often distorted by selfishness, love is a transcendent gift. And it's meant to point us to something greater, to the gift of God's love that will one day permeate and transform His beloved world. And that's what the Song of Songs is all about.
2: Three weeks ago, Pastor Sheldon texts me and he says, uh, he asked me, Jonathan, when can you teach again when can you speak again and I said I had about three weeks you know beginning part of June should give me enough time immediately he texts me back the synopsis and the book of the Bible that I was to teach tonight song of songs and let me tell you out of all the books in the Bible I did not want to teach on this book I felt totally unqualified to speak on this book so i did one of these things i did i don't know if you ever did this before but i did this <clears throat> I, I prayed i said lord you are almighty all knowing all powerful but surely you must have inadvertently made a scheduling error <laughs> for tonight because i'm not the one who should be teaching this book okay so i text pastor Sheldon, okay i text him and i give him those reasons valid reasons and he does not respond to me for five days if you know pastor sheldon you text if he's not on sabbatical immediately he won't text you back but for five days he just wanted me to hear god because he told me later logically jonathan that makes sense but i want you to hear the spirit so within those five days i had planned to take my son and my nephew's fishing so I was going through my fishing closet, getting all my gear ready, and I came across this pole, this pole here, okay? You can't really see it closely, but the thing is falling apart. It's weathered. It's tattered. The, the cork handle is just disintegrating. There's one i missing. It's an ugly old pole. It's an ugly old pole. Let me get that straight. So <clears throat> it's like as if God spoke to me. Right in there, that it doesn't matter, okay, what it looks like, just so long as it's sensitive, like my pole is sensitive and strong. Because let me tell you, with that pole, I caught hundreds, maybe thousands of ahis and marlins and uluas. No, I'm just kidding. Holy holies and mammals. But anyway, and Himalayas, Himalayas. But the pole is sensitive. And it's strong and it's dependable It doesn't matter how it looks But in the hands of a master You know, in the hands of God tonight um, He will direct and lead me Even though I'm probably not the most qualified But this is the story of how I dodged the, <laughs> tried to dodge the bullet Of speaking tonight But here I am a bo- old bus-up, tattered fishing pole One eye missing Is going to deliver the message tonight So let's pray Father God, in Jesus' name we thank you so much lord that um lord you are god that um lord is in control of everything tonight you have a word for your people you do so lord god i bend to your will i, I relent to you and i pray in jesus name you just direct me guide me and i'd be sensitive to what you want to speak to your people in jesus name we pray amen so <clears throat> song of songs uh, that is a superlative or an adjective or an adverb that describes the highest or the greatest of something or someone. Uh, in the Bible, it's it's called a Hebrew idiom where it's King of Kings, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. In the temple, uh, the most sacred place is called the Holy of Holies. And last week, when Bunny taught on Ecclesiastes, we learned about the vanity of vanities. Tonight, we will learn about the Song of Songs, which is the greatest song in the Bible. Solomon wrote over 1,005 songs, and this was the best. This is the Song of Songs. Why do we know this? Because it's the only one that got in the Bible. It's the only one God published. So this, is, this was made... To, it is a descriptive and a beautiful song, a poetry, a poetic song about the love between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, the struggles, the victories, and it's often very, very explicit and erotic. In fact, it goes into a lot of detail uh, in the intimacy. You know, it covers the honeymoon. And, you know, the reason why I think a lot of people kind of Uh, shy away from this book in church because, let's face it, I never learned Song of Song in Sunday school, okay? We never did that. But the reason why is because the devil has made the church believe that sex is dirty when in actuality, the opposite is true. Sex within the boundaries of marriage fueled by love is a beautiful, pure, and holy pleasurable thing that God invented. And what God, God said, uh, what God has made clean, man shall not make unclean. So the truth is intimacy within marriage, sex within marriage, is something created by the almighty God for, for, for all, all married people. Okay? However, if sexual intimacy within the boundaries of marriage and powered by love is an essential, pure, holy, and great part of the relationship between a husband and a wife, then the opposite is also true. The opposite is true. Okay. Sex outside the boundaries of marriage, without love, is dangerous, it's destructive, and it's very sinful. I like Survivor Man and Man vs. Wild. For those of you who don't know. The show premise is they, they, they just drop these guys down in the middle of nowhere, in the wilderness, on a desert island, with nothing but like a knife. That's it, just a knife. And, you know, with, they, they got to survive for the week or something. Now, a knife, okay, a knife can be used for destruction, for hurting people, for death. It can be. But a knife wielded in the hand of a knowledgeable and wise and responsible individual, you know, you can make shelter and tools and you can actually survive with just a single blade, okay? Um, Kind of uh, reminds me of a joke, you know, what is the most effective form of martial arts? It's not karate, it's not jujitsu, it's judo, yeah, because judo no if I got a gun, judo no if I got a knife, Fire, fire is another example. If something is not in its proper place, it becomes destructive and dangerous. You take a fireplace, okay? You take a fireplace. It brings warmth, merriment, uh, fellowship. Uh, You can you can go ahead roast marshmallows. You know, in a fireplace, it's a great place to gather. But you take that fire and you move it five feet over to your living room sofa. And you get nothing but death and destruction, okay? So sex outside the boundaries of marriage uh, without love is as dangerous as a fire in the middle of your living room, okay? The year is 1989. I was a freshman at college in Colorado. It was February, and I had just come back from winter vacation. Snowing. If you ever been to Colorado in February... It's bitterly cold. It was snowing. Anyway, I got together at my friend's uh, dorm room. His name was Guy Toyama, my good, good buddy, and uh, he's from Maui. And we get together, and, you know, we were, we were just gathering around, hanging out. Actually, um, I, I should say, I should confess that during this time, uh, my friend and I were imbibing certain beverages that, I don't know, maybe just altered our common sense just a little. So we were there, and we we're having a good time, and we were getting hungry. We wanted poo-poo or, uh, you know, something to snack on. So we had some steaks in their fridge. So if you go, okay, let's go pop it in the oven, throw it on a pan. All of a sudden, one of us gets this bright idea. Why don't we hibachi the steaks? And That was probably my friend, okay? Not me, but hibachi the steaks. In Colorado, there's the Coors Brewing Company, and in the colleges, they gave away a lot of free stuff to college students, hoping they become, I guess, alcoholics and stuff, but anyway, they gave us this one Coors Light, the silver bullet, Hibachi. It was a, it was like a cylinder can, and it opened lengthwise, and you had two grills. Okay, so we had the hibachi, and it was too cold outside. So what did you think that we did? Okay, we fired that thing up right here in the middle of the of the dorm room. Okay, we fired it up. It's the cooking the steaks, frying the steaks, grilling the steaks. All of a sudden, we hear pounding on our door. We open it. My friend opens the door. And it's the resident manager. She says, We gotta evacuate the building. There's a fire in Harrison Hall. I said, So we look at each other, we say, What? What? And then the then the resident manager looks at us and says, What are you guys doing? Are you guys idiots? And so I look at Guy, I look at the lady, I look at Guy, and I said, Would you like a piece of the steak? <laughs> so anyway to make a long story short we gotta carry me and Guy has to carry the hibachi outside down the stairs when we come outside there's 400 college students and their sweats shivering okay? because we had to evacuate the whole, the whole campus pretty much and they start applauding yay yeah, yay yeah, alright Hawaiians right on Shaka, brah. Hey, how was those stakes it was so embarrassing but fire outside its intended per place is very dangerous, okay? And um, two days later, in the, university, uh, in the university newspaper, true story, headlines read, two Hawaiian hibachi enthusiasts cooks up a summons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, you young people, okay, no play with fire, dangerous, dangerous, yeah? So, God published this beautiful love story and put it smack dab in the middle of the Bible. Smack dab in the middle. As if to say, in the core, in the middle of everything as a human being, you need to know how much I love you. This book, yes, it is about a man and a woman, a husband and his wife, the love song, the love between those two, but it, it, it is also a story or analogy for you and I to know how much God loves us, how much God loves us. Some people, and I was watching the video, feel that this is an allegory. An allegory is a fiction piece of writing that has a hidden meaning, okay? I disagree with that. I feel, I believe that this is a true story written by real people about a real love that happened 2,000 years ago. It should be read, it should be enjoyed, but it is not a fiction story. It's a love song, a true love song. But what we can glean from the Song of Songs is some very poignant analogies. Analogies. An analogy is a fact that illustrates another fact. It's a truth that validates another truth. Jesus taught in analogies all the time. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who went out, okay? So we can find a couple of very, very great, there's many analogies in the Song of Solomon, but I'm just gonna cover two tonight. I'm just gonna cover two tonight. The first one is, well, let me let me preface this. Song of Solomon, from what I read this past couple weeks, is broken up into four parts. Four parts. The first part was the infatuation, the meeting, the falling in love, the newness of the relationship. The second part was the wedding, and what was very descriptive details of the honeymoon. And then there was a time of problems, of strife, marital strife, because for, for a time, they were actually separated, these two lovers. But in the end, there was reconciliation. Uh, they still had problems, but they made it work. So that is pretty much an overview of what I understood to be of the Song of Solomon. With that, in chapter 2, verse 16 the amplified version if you could look at the scripture um, it says this my beloved is mine and i am his my beloved is mine and i am his this woman is saying this guy is my man okay Ain't nobody going to mess around with my man because he is mine and I am his. I belong to him and he belongs to me. So it is an exclusive and it is a personal relationship. So the number one, the, the first point, fill in the blank. Your relationship with God is personal and it is exclusive, exclusive. Now, let, let me show you how, Okay. You have 7 billion people in the world today, okay? God extends and desires and wants to have a personal exclusive relationship with all 7 billion. But the relationship he has with you is for you and God, and God and you. It's just between the two of you. Like a marriage, that relationship is exclusive. The married couple will have friends and and colleagues and acquaintances... But the marriage, the marriage relationship is exclusive and personal. You know, God can be, God is all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at the same time. So he can be speaking to you, you can be speaking to him, and he can be doing the same thing to 7 billion people, but it feels like you're the only one in the world because it's that personal and it's that exclusive. God, ha- God has, his desire is to have relationship with you and I. Now, let's kind of dissect this scripture. My beloved is mine. My beloved is mine. The word my denotes possession. It denotes this is my person. This is my God. Now, if you use the word my in a sentence or a proclamation or in scripture, when you're feeling down, attacked by the devil, or, or just in despair, there is power To that possession, my. Check this out. Jesus is my Lord, okay? Jesus is my rock when all other earth around me is just sinking sand. Jesus is my rock. Jesus is my fortress. I don't have to fear. I got his protection. Jesus is my savior. I'm going to heaven because of my Jesus. My, that's a powerful, powerful word. And this woman is saying, my beloved is mine. Think about the power of the one who can say my God. Okay? My, sometimes we say my God in not so good ways, but we can say my God in the way that is so powerful. For example, struggling with finances in this, this in this economy. My God shall supply all of my needs, right? You're feeling lonely and isolated because of social isolation. My God will never leave or forsake me. You know you're being persecuted at work for your faith. My God will fight my battles. <clears throat> the second part of the verse: My beloved is mine, and I am his. There are so many blessings, okay, available not just blessings, but legal rights to the believer and the Christian that are not available to the non-believer, okay? When you say, I am his, you are saying, I belong to him, that comes with so much power and legal authority and rights. Let me just give you a few. You are his, therefore, you have his protection, Psalms 91. You are his, therefore... You have his provision, Philippians 4. You are his, therefore you have his peace in the midst of chaos, John 14. You are his, therefore you have authority in his name, Mark chapter 3. I tell you, there is so much power in this one verse This analogy of saying, My beloved is mine and I am his. What you are saying is, This is it. This is the relationship. This is life. This is all the power I need. This is all the joy I need. This is what I need to get through anything in this life that may come my way. My beloved is mine and I am his. It is an exclusive and personal love relationship that expands the whole human experience and the length of our lives, okay? It's not just my beloved is mine and I am his on, at 6.30 on Wednesday night or 7, 9, and 11 on a Sunday. It is every minute of every day. It's when you sleep. It's when you get up. It's when you go to work. It's when you have your greatest victory. It's when you go through your lowest lows. My beloved is mine and I am his, what a statement. What a beautiful and powerful love. Okay? My beloved is mine and I am his, even when I lose my job. My beloved is mine and I am his when I'm single and I'm lonely. My beloved is mine and I am his when I'm married and I still feel lonely. My beloved is mine, and I am his, says Zacchaeus, who ran up that sycamore tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Okay? My beloved is mine, and I am his, says the woman who who was bleeding internally for years and said, if I could just touch the garment of Christ, I know I'll be healed. My beloved is mine, and I am his, says Paul, when he cried out to God and said, Lord, please take this thorn away from my side. But God responded and said, No, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. My beloved is mine, and I am his. That's some powerful words. Some powerful words. So, the second point that I'd like to go over is that love is not a feeling, it is an action. It is an action, okay? Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I, I got to back up a second, okay? I skipped over something very, very important. This personal relationship, God wants with you, okay? We're, we're back on the first point. My beloved is mine. I am his beloved. You know, how close, how, how much he knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself, okay? He knows you better than you know yourself. Right now, wherever it is that you are in your life, it doesn't matter. He knew you before we were even born. He created you. He, knew, he knows everything. 20 years ago, I was a youth leader. Pastor Sheldon was the uh, youth pastor for the junior high ministry. And we we were going to take the youth on this wonderful four or five day trip on this big boat that was docked in Kona. It was called the Rapture. It was a, a boat that, that brought youth groups on for like camps, so we spent like the whole week on that boat, so we did a lot of fundraising, and you know it was it was just a big, big thing. It was one of the biggest things I think uh, I remember we doing in the youth ministry, but at that time, twenty years ago, I had met this really young man, this boy actually, uh, and he was in my Sunday school class, and I just immediately connected with this boy. His cute little Japanese, looked like, one, one, looked, looked like me actually, musubi head, but real cute and, and just a, a real quiet and shy individual. His name was Jason. Okay? So Jason was able to go on the boat, the rapture, and we went there. We spent the time and uh, every night or, and every morning too, but one night session of worship and message, we were out on the top deck of the boat. Okay? And it was just the most pristine, beautiful scenery. Okay? It, we were all, Pastor Sheldon, I was, I was leading worship. We were singing songs. And the moon was out, full moon. All the, the you know, stars were out. The, the water was lit up. It was just one of those worship sessions that I'll never forget. That was 20 years ago. And it was one of the most um, real worship sessions I've ever experienced. Anyhow, One of the songs that I sang was He Knows My Name. And the lyrics goes like this I have a Maker. He formed my heart. Before even time began, my life was in his hands. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. So it was a great time of worship, great time. Many years later, many years later, I have a conversation with Jason. And he tells me, you know, John, that, that one night we sang this song up on the rapture. Uh, that was my experience with God. That was the first time I had this encounter with the love of Christ. And I, so I remember him say, saying that. So I, I texted him the other night. I said, could you please, you know, elaborate on what that song meant to you? I'd like to share it. So this is exactly what he said. I want to just read it verbatim. Okay. I believe it was on the Rapture on the top deck when I first heard this song, and it spoke to me. As you know, my dad was in and out of my childhood, and not that he didn't know who I was or my name, but I just felt lost, and no one knew my pain or who I was as I was a very shy and introverted person. It was this song that taught me that God knew who I was, that he knew every little piece of me. I didn't have to feel lost or pain because he was there and he knows me. Brothers and sisters, you know, God knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. So... Just remember that, that personal relationship. That's how deep it is. That's how deep it is. That's how real it is. And that's how life-changing it is. Today, Jason is just a wonderful young man. He's, he's doing great. But it was that one moment, that one encounter on the top of that boat 20 years ago where he realized, man, God knows my name and God knows your name too. Okay, point two, point two. Love is not a feeling it is an action, okay? Now, by chapter 3 of the Song of Songs, there must have been some marital strife. There must have been some hakaka or habutero feelings, okay? Because obviously, they weren't together. She didn't even know where the guy was, okay? So, here's, let's look at the scripture, Song of Songs, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. It says this, all night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but did not find him. I will get up and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. Okay. So it says here, all night long, she's pondering, she's thinking, okay, man, searching her heart. She realizes, I don't have feelings for this guy anymore. Okay, I don't know where he is, you know, my heart just doesn't there's there's no there's no electricity anymore. Why? Because the infatuation stage of the relationship had kind of fizzled out, right? It kind of fizzled out. You guys know all about it. The beginning part of the relationship is always so exciting. You just touch the hand. It's like electricity. It's awesome. It's great. You know, you call them up and you guys talk for hours. And, you know, it's time to go. So you say, oh, you know, oh, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. Click. Oh, I can't believe he hung up on me. That's how infatuation is. It's just this, this, this electric game where you feel so alive. But she searched her heart and realized, man, it ain't there anymore. I don't have it. I don't feel this. But this is what she did. This is what she said. I will get up and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. She didn't say, she didn't just say, oh, you know what? I don't have feelings for him anymore. It's over. I'm out of here. I'm done with him." okay? She got up out of bed, and she knocked down on every door. She searched every street and every square because love is an action. Action is a verb. Seeking him, searching for him. Sometimes you and I, we got to seek God with all of our hearts. Sometimes we feel like God has gone silent on us. So we got to search for him all the more. That is true love. True love is an action, not a feeling. If love was based loosely on a feeling, I tell you what, there would be no such thing as love. But because love is an action, it is a verb... In the marital sense, you need to serve each other. You need to demonstrate, not just say I love you, but actually demonstrate it. Same thing with our relationship with Jesus. He has demonstrated his love for you and I. We need to also demonstrate it to him. How? By just living a life in obedience to Christ. Just walking with him every day, speaking with him every day, spending time with him. Very much the same as you would with any relationship. You just can't wait to see your spouse. You just can't wait to be in God's presence. You, can't, you just can't wait to serve your spouse a cup of coffee in the morning. You just can't wait to get into prayer and, and do devotions with the Lord. Okay? Same thing. Love is an action. Now, <clears throat> there's a story about this husband and wife. And the husband... He kind of sick. Yeah? He kind of sick. There's like he's real fatigue, and um, you know he he's hard time sleep, no appetite. So they go to the doctor, and um, doctor sees the husband, sends the husband out, calls the wife back in, and says I need to talk to you. So the doctor talks to the wife, and says you know your husband is suffering from a very rare disease. It's called LDS, uh, um, Love Deprivation Syndrome. Not not latter-day saints love deprivation syndrome okay so the wife goes oh okay well what what i gotta do what how can i help him doctor says this you need to show him you love him not just say you love him you need to prepare his meals and serve it to him you need to kiss him passionately at least three or four times a day and you need to embrace him like 10 times a day so the wife goes mm, okay Sounds good. Alright, I, I can do that. I can do that. She goes outside, they drive home. Finally the husband just erupts and you know needs to know. I need to know what's what's going on. What did the doctor say was wrong me wrong with me and, and how can we treat it? The wife looks at him, kinda shakes his head and says, Sorry, doctor said, You ain't gonna make it. <laughs> poor thing the guy, poor thing. Okay. an example of love Okay, love is an action I came up with three really examples that, that I, I could think of that was really good an uh, example of true love is this, a worn out carpet in a place where a mother's knees was knelt, praying for her children for 20 years okay that's true love True love is the husband who after 50 years of marriage has to feed and bathe his beloved wife because she no longer has the strength to do it on her own. True love is the humbling of a heart to forgive no matter what the transgression may have been to move forward for the sake of the relationship. You know, I was thinking, Lord, you know, okay, Song of songs, beautiful, beautiful uh, story, love song, right smack dab in the middle of the Bible, okay? Um, you want a personal relationship at the core of our being. That's what it's all about, a personal relationship with God and, and experiencing this beautiful and most powerful love. But give me a scripture, Lord, that would just encapsulate everything that you want to speak about what love is, what the purpose is of it all is. If you want to get real existential, you know, why am I here? What's the purpose? What, what? why was I created for? And if you open up your Bibles or you look at the scripture up there, Ephesians chapter three, verse 16. Okay. <laughs> the word's so small in this Bible, so I gotta, I gotta read kind of close, okay? So this is it. This is what it's all about. Brothers and sisters, okay? Just like how Song of Solomon, it, it pretty much hits the core of what marriage is. This, this tells, us, tells us what we as his created beings, what our purpose is. This is Paul saying, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's what it's all about. The most enjoyable and joyous and, and, and just most fulfilling thing of being alive is being in love with Jesus. Plain and simple. Okay? And it's, it, it encompasses the whole of your life the greatest heights, the lowest depths, the length of your life. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. This is what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. And it says, you know, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Get this, okay? God knows everything about you, okay? He knows everything about me. But we will never know everything about him and his love we will never be able to comprehend the incomprehensible all our lives we can live all of eternity with him we still will not be able to comprehend the fullness of his love but what a great what a great track what a great journey through life to get to know him better and better each and every day to know him in his in suffering, to know him in his love and his sacrifice for, for mankind and, and and his power in your life, in your life of your children and your grandchildren. This is the enjoyable, most fulfilling thing that a human being can ever experience. And God offers it to everyone. Um, Pastor Pastor Ben, and if you could come up and I'm gonna close. I'm gonna close with this. Just like my good friend Jason Takimoto had his experience on the top deck of the boat in Kona, just like he felt God just touch him in a way that was almost, you know, it was spiritual yet physical. It was it was it was a definite encounter. With God and the realization that God knew Jason. I had that same exact experience um, when I was about seven or eight years old. Uh, When I was seven or eight years old, I was going through a hard time. Uh, uh, Some things were happening to me outside of the home that were heinous and were horrible. And no child, no person should ever have gone through something like that. But, and I was only seven or eight years old. I didn't know what was going on, but I was a mess. I was a bundle of nerves. I was acting out in school. I, I was acting out at home. Um, I was a real, I was a real punk when I was a kid. But uh, anyway, I think it was around 1977 or 1978. There was this. Uh, Back then, there was only three stations on TV. never have cable. And and on one of the network stations, there was this show called Jesus Christ Nazareth. And it was Monday through Friday. It was like two and a half hours every night. And I was a little kid, but I remember watching that movie on network television in 1978. And, you know, I'd lie on the floor on my tummy... And, and I would just, i would just watch. I would just watch the, uh, the TV, night after night. I would see, I would see Jesus love people who were broken, who were hurting. I would see Him, hug and, and show love to, to people who, were outcasts, in the world. People who were sick, He'd heal. He was doing miracles. And I'd watch night after night, night after night. And I think it was maybe the Thursday night or something. Uh, That's when Jesus hung on the cross. That's when he was crucified. And And I looked as he hung on the cross, and he said, it is accomplished. And he bowed his head. But before he bowed his head, It was as if Jesus was looking straight into my eyes and into my soul. It was as if Jesus knew everything that was going on with me. And he said, right now, I need to show Jonathan how much I love him. So tonight, maybe God is peering into your soul and your heart right now. Perhaps maybe it's time. You put this off too long you know, you know that God loves you, but you've run away, maybe. Um, things have come up, life happened, and, and you've kind of dodged him. But right now, if he is peering into your heart and soul, okay, answer the call because he wants a personal relationship with you. He knows your name. There's three things, faith, hope, and love. Of the greatest of these is love. There is nothing greater than the love of God and a personal relationship with him. So tonight, I want to invite you. I want to plead to you, if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what are you waiting for? Really, what are you waiting for? Love is an action. It's a demonstration. How much more can God demonstrate he loves you by dying on the cross for you. Do you know when he hung on that cross, he was thinking of you? He was thinking of me? He was thinking of every single soul that was ever born, ever will live. He thought of each and every one of us when he hung on that cross. So right now, he may be peering into your heart and your soul. And he may, the Holy Spirit may be just drawing you to this place where, yeah, I got to know who this Jesus is. I need to start this love relationship that will last, span eternity. And it will be a blessing upon my children and my grandchildren. So, if you are out there at the sound of my voice and you've never accepted Jesus, never asked him into your heart, I'm going to lead you in a prayer so that you can do so tonight. For those of us who are Christians, but we kind of just wandered off the path, we kind of just let things go, we're being overwhelmed by marital problems or work problems and we kind of put God on the back burner well right now, let's put him front and center again, let's do that let's do that, because he knows you, he loves you and he's demonstrated it in a way that just cannot be taught for the son of man and son of God to come down and to die for you and me It can't be expressed in a greater way than this. So, just repeat after me. Bow your heads and just in your heart, okay, um, with everything in your heart, every fiber of your being, you believe this. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I've been hurt. I've been beaten. I've been tattered. My life has gone bad to worse. Um, right now I feel you peering into my soul and my heart. I, I can I can see you speaking and I can see you looking into my heart and I can hear you speaking to me right now, drawing me to you. So right now, Lord, I want to ask you and invite you, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my savior. Show me and just walk me through this wonderful, beautiful, powerful love relationship. Lord, you've, you've shown it all. You've done it all. It is accomplished. You showed the love that you have for mankind in the most poignant way. So Lord Jesus, I receive that. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And Lord God, I ask Lord that you would just walk me through, Lord. Keep me close. Keep me in your arms of love. Continue to Uh, lord bless me lord and my family and and show me what steps i need to take today tomorrow and the next day lord blessed be your holy name we praise you in jesus name amen now if you said yes to the lord um if you're looking online there's this thing where it says i accept okay there's a little box you can click on that it'll prompt you and it'll open up uh Uh, Access for, like, some pastors who are right now available to answer questions, pray with you if you have prayer. So if you accepted Jesus, go ahead and click that button because we want to make sure that, you know, we congratulate you. So if you did say yes, uh, two things I'd like you to do. Tell someone that you received Jesus, okay? Tell someone. Because right now, all of heaven rejoices in, when one sinner repents, okay? So right now, go tell somebody. Tell somebody. Number two, start reading the book of John, the gospel of John. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book of the gospel. Okay, so just read through that book. Get to know Jesus. Get to know the person that you're going to fall in love with and love for all of eternity. So go ahead and do that, and um, what a what a beautiful and what a powerful love we have. Praise praise the name of Jesus. Thank you. Oops, sorry.